Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 262. Thank you so much for joining us. We are continuing our storytelling series, going back to attractions. We've been on restaurants for a little while, but today we're gearing up towards April, which in this household, April is the month of Animal Kingdom. I mean, let's be for real. Every month is all about Animal Kingdom in this house, but April gives us a really good excuse with Earth Day and its anniversary. Any excuse. Yes. All of the above. I am super excited for this episode because I think attraction storytelling is something that we're both pretty passionate about because it's something that everybody can experience and everybody can walk away with something, I think, here. With dining, there's so many different variables, you know, service and did you like the food? But on an attraction, it really gets into the heart of what we love about Disney of picking out these little details that seem so minuscule but completely turn these ideas and our experiences on their head. You've hyped it up. I'd say you've given it a pretty good intro. So today we are doing Flight of Passage. And this is one that we've put off for a while because it is somewhat polarizing. It is, I mean, one of, if not the biggest e-ticket attraction at Animal Kingdom right now. And we wanted to hold off on it for a while. Polarizing. You're saying people don't like this attraction or people think it's overhyped? I think both. I mean, I think if you are prone to motion sickness, you might hate this. Like my mom, I think she would hate this. Well, I don't want to get into that. All right. But I think no matter your feelings on this attraction, I think our discussion today can hopefully lead to you understanding that this plays a very pivotal role in Animal Kingdom and within Pandora. So we're going to talk about that. We have a few mousekeeping notes before we get started. You hate it when I say that, don't you? I I don't know. I was pretty impressed that you came up with that. That just came out of thin air. I don't think I've ever heard you say the word mousekeeping. Well, I didn't come up with it, obviously, but... I know, but I like it. Uh, I don't hate it. I like it. Maybe it'll stick around. Okay. A mousekeeping segment each week. Mousekeeping. Here we go. If you are listening to this on release day, on the 25th of March, we are hosting our very first Detour Neverland live show tonight. It's going to be premiering at 8 p.m. Walt Disney World time, both on Facebook and YouTube. Just wanted to speak briefly about the goal of that show. So you guys know that Detour... You may have realized we try to keep everything here evergreen. We try not to cover too much news. We try not to get too much into specific things because if you're listening to this in the future, hello to the future. (laughs) First of all, how are things? Um, But we want all of this information to still be as relevant as possible. And so this live show is just a little bit more of a more recent snapshot that we can do. And so our approach to this is... 
you know, from someone who's interested in storytelling or some from someone who is just looking to make the most out of their experiences, we're going to do a preview of the next month ahead of what's happening in the Disney parks, maybe some other topics as well, but definitely the Disney parks. So we're going to be looking at April, talking about what's going on, what's what we'll be doing, things like that. And we're really excited for it. We're going to be hosting the live show and then we'll be taking the audio from that live show and posting it here as a podcast as well, if you want to consume it that way. Yeah, absolutely. So it's something different. It's something that we've talked about for a while. Again, not necessarily jumping deep into, you know, the what's up and coming, the news side of everything, but this will give you a nice preview into the next month. And our friend Hannah is going to be joining us for those episodes as well. She's a travel agent, so she uh, knows this stuff much better than we do. She's a wealth of knowledge. We're just kind of in our own bubble, floating along. Which is honestly how we like it. So, back to today's episode, storytelling of... I don't I don't know, Catherine, if you did this on purpose. You messed up the title at the beginning. This is Avatar, Flight of Passage. You missed the Avatar part. I didn't know you had to say the Avatar part. I thought everybody knew. Officially, Avatar, Flight of Passage. My mistake. I won't make it again. Key facts for this attraction. It opened on May 27th, 2017 with the rest of Pandora, the world of Avatar. They love colons here in this (laughs) area of the world. What's interesting is that I didn't realize this. We didn't come to the park's... I guess much in 2017. I don't know what was happening. I We just got married. I don't know. Broke, I guess. Probably. Still broke. But anyway, this had a soft open for like a month before it actually debuted on May 27th. I think its soft open started on April 29th. That's awesome. I love that. You think they'll do that with Ratatouille? Womp womp. Way to just like kick you while you're down, Brendan. We've been through this. Oh, man. <laughs> if you guys don't know, we did hear a rumor that Ratatouille was going to do a soft open. This was before they announced October 1st as oh, the yeah. opening date. We heard a rumor back. It was like President's Day weekend or something. I believe it was. And so we got up early, got to Epcot. We had this grand idea that we were going to park at Hollywood Studios and take the Skyliner over. Uh, Word to the wise, they don't start running the Skyliner to International Gateway until much later in the day. Then a thunderstorm hit, and so we got soaked, and obviously Ratatouille did not open. So to say the least, it's a bit of a sore subject in this house. So we only go by hard opening dates now. Absolutely. No No rumors rumors here. But back to Pandora, it was developed in conjunction between the Walt Disney Imagineering and the WIDA Digital, which is the special effects company that actually worked on Avatar the movie. They also did Zack Snyder's Justice League that just came out. I saw. I was on their website. Oh, okay. They do a lot of DC stuff. The lead or notable Imagineers who worked on this attraction and this land in general, number one, you want to say him first? Joe Rody, Of course. Did a tear just come out of Every, your Everybody's favorite. Everybody's my favorite. Amy Jupiter and David Lester from Walt Disney Imagineering. And then on the Avatar side, James Cameron, who's the creator, director, guru behind Avatar, 
was super, super involved in this. Like We watched a video and he was there with the Imagineers, checking it all out, riding the ride. Hard hat on and everything. Very hands-on. And then as well with James Cameron, he had John Lando, who's the executive producer for the Avatar franchise. So you can definitely see that, you know, just so we can be clear, neither of us are huge fans of the movie franchise. Well, just it's not even a franchise a at this movie. point. Just the movie. Avatar 2's taken a while. Maybe eventually we'll get it. We're supposed to have five of them. We'll see. But I do think that Pandora is built in a way that you don't even necessarily have to be a huge fan of the movies to appreciate this land. I mean, the beauty alone is enough to entice someone to go into that area. And then what I do like about the storytelling of not only this attraction, but also the Navi River journey is that it's very easy to follow. You know, you don't have to be an expert and the things that you do need to know or what you might be lacking from not being an expert in the movies, they tell you. I was about to say, you need to listen to Detour to Neverland and that's where you get the the rest of the contextual information that you need. That too. So I appreciate that because I feel like there are definitely other places that you could visit on Disney property throughout the different parks where that's not necessarily the case. But for this one, they basically spell it out for you. So it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum of Avatar fandom. I think it's enjoyable. It is a good time to mention we covered a lot of the story behind the land in general in episode number 231 on Navi River Journey. And we can cover kind of highlights of that here. We're not going to probably go as in-depth as we did for that episode because I think Navi River Journey in particular, it's, uh, well, I was going to say it's a more, I don't even know the adjective. It's a different experience that you're getting there, but I feel like it ties into the land a lot more than Flight of Passage does. It's very much seamless with the land. Like there's no, again, there's no introduction necessary. It's just like instead of seeing Pandora and the Valley of Moara during the day, it's at night, which of course you can experience it at night too, but it's very seamless. So there's a couple of facts or things that we think help us to understand the stage of where all of this is set. And the biggest one that is not necessarily spelled out for you very easily. The only place I've ever heard this is from James Cameron's mouth in an interview that we saw. Now, there's probably some resources out there and maybe you can find this information by piecing it together throughout the land. but this is not set in current day or it's not synced up with the movies that we have released. We teased it before. There are supposed to be five Avatar movies once this is all said and done. Now, as you probably, as you may know, Avatar at the time was the most expensive movie ever made. And I think that might still be the case. It, I don't know enough to, to really speak on it. And I actually think it just retook the throne for biggest blockbuster movie of all time as well. I think they took it back from Avengers Endgame, but that's where we stand. And so this land takes place after Avatar 5. And so what the really the biggest thing that you need to understand from that 
is that the conflict that is taking place in the movies is resolved at this point. And the Valley of Moara is presented as this is a place where humans and Navi can come together in their conservation efforts to make amends and to rebuild this world of Pandora. Which is interesting to think about because, you know, all that we know right now really about Avatar is just from the one movie. But to think that there are four other movies that would fill in this timeline does, you know, it gives a little bit of wiggle room as far as how you would walk into this. Like if you're a huge Avatar fan, it's not going to be like you're stepping into the movie. You know, it is a little later in the timeline. So it's not like you're walking into a um, Galaxy's Edge or something like that. Which that's where, you know, we don't have to spend too much time on it. But when we released the Navi River Journey, we did, I believe, talk a little bit about that, about how Galaxy's Edge is a specific snapshot in time where this one is very much open-ended. Mm-hmm. It's after the movies. So nothing that they do on screen is going to affect this, assuming that they wrap it up at the end with a happy ending. You know, to and some, that they make it to five. And that they make it to five. <laughs> um, but obviously Galaxy's Edge has its own issues. And if you've been keeping up with the news, you know that it's very likely now that they're moving away from that little snapshot in time in between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. So Thanks, Grogu. I yeah. <laughs> I I really do think that this is a great way of doing it. That it's it's open-ended. And again, I think it's so easily missed, especially for people like us that were not overly familiar with the movie. I honestly, like, I know Zoe Saldana is in it. That's about the extent of my movie knowledge. Most of my knowledge comes from the parks at this point. Well, which is why I think, so before we really jump into the storytelling, we want to talk about who are all of these different players within the movies because it ties a lot into this ride in particular in just making sure that you can follow kind of the evolution of the storytelling in this ride. You have to know who all is involved, I think. So first you have to know that the RDA, who is the resource development association, and they are the mining company who the Navi are in conflict with. So basically they're the bad guys. And they are in the movie. Yes. So they show up in avatar one yeah, I mean, that's basically what you need to know. They're the bad guys, and they're exploiting Pandora for its natural resources. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the Navi don't like that. Oh, no. Next is the Alpha Centauri Expeditions, or ACE, as you will see them portrayed in Pandora. And so this group is specific to Disney's Animal Kingdom. So they have not shown up in the movies yet. Do you think they will? I mean, I would have to assume that since it's very much prevalent in Pandora, that they must show up eventually as like the research, as, you know, like the good guys who are trying to foster this better connection between humans and the Navi. And so they are the group that are facilitating this ride on the Banshee, and they're affiliated with the Pandoran Conservation Initiative. You will see that. They love initials here. As, <laughs> as PCI. So RDA, bad guys, PCI, and ACE, 
pretty much the same people involved with both of those. They're the good guys. Yeah, they're the rebuilders, basically. And then, of course, you have the third group, which is the Navi. I mean, you should know who they are. They're the indigenous people found on Pandora, which is actually this moon that you're able to inhabit. That's no moon. It's Pandora. I had to. Um, and then the Valley of Mawara in particular is something that I think needs to be mentioned because that's a specific area within Pandora. So obviously you can't visit the whole moon in Animal Kingdom. Well, that would be ridiculous. That I mean, yeah, that's wh- – where do they think this is? It's Florida. We have a lot of room, but not that much room. So you are visiting the Valley of Mawara, um, and that is located on Pandora, but particularly it's the area where – the humans and the Navi are living in harmony together. So again, it's all about conservation. It's all about rebuilding. And, you know, what's funny is there are little details like before you enter into the Valley of Moara where there are signs, almost like you're entering a national park. You know, it tells you where you are, what it is. It gives you little rules, you know, don't feed the wildlife, things like that, which I think is a nice touch. And then... You know, now that RDA is gone, you get to, you're being invited to the rebuilding and you can see remnants of RDA left over from when they were at conflict with each other. Yeah. And so it's, if you want to dive more into this relationship and what exactly, you know, the Navi of why they have invited us into this area, again, that's, that's better told through Navi River Journey, which, again, our episode on that, I think, completely changed my mind on that attraction. You're looking at me like you disagree. You don't necessarily think that's true. I don't know if that necessarily explains why we're there more. Do you? Well, I think it is very symbolic in the way of that the Navi didn't have to let us in here as humans. But like this is the area that they are sharing with us. And they are allowing us to do these experiences to better appreciate their nature, their culture, and everything that goes along with that. And I think within that, there's a couple of different areas. There's one just like appreciating who they are, where they came from, and what they're about. And that's told through Navi River Journey. But then about how do we rebuild this, and how do we make amends, and how do we move forward together that is told through Flight of Passage. Okay. I see where you're coming from. You'll allow it? I'll allow it. Okay. So that kind of sets the stage for what we have going on. And honestly, I was confused on this for the longest time. I probably didn't understand all of the different organizations or people at work in this land until very recently. And it makes everything click. When you're there, you understand why there is a human in a big suit that looks like it should be in Halo. <laughs> you know, it it makes all those things really, really make sense. We're going to have to do Satuli Canteen at some point as well. And I hope that really wraps up this area with a bow on it. But this is this area, I think, has it's been a slow burn for me of understanding the story, but it is so rich and so deep once you just start to pull back the first couple of layers. Well, because I think that's the beauty of 
you know, what we were talking about earlier is you don't have to be an expert to just enjoy this area and recognize how beautiful it is. But if you want to take that next step and you want to understand what's going on, then, you know, Disney's laid everything out for you, you know, to get that. And that's why we're so interested in looking at it. So our next segment is called The Ride Starts Once You Enter the Queue or Before You Enter the Queue. I know we say that every single episode, but I promise you it is so true for this one. It starts, well, what were you going to say? It starts when you go into the land. You literally, (laughs) you took the words out of my mouth. That's what I was going to say. I was going to switch it up a little bit from it starts as soon as you enter the queue to it starts as soon as you see that, you know, state park sign entering you into the Valley of Moara. You know, you can put yourself into that position and into that situation. And then it can continue as you enter the queue. So what I like about this queue is that not only is it immersive, but it kind of walks you through the evolution and the story of the Navi and everything that they went through with the RDA, you know, their conflict, how they're rebuilding and the steps that they're taking to move forward. It's very much laid out. And I think as we say this out loud and you may have already caught on like what story the queue itself is telling you, but I think a lot of us maybe get this subconsciously, but to hear it out loud for me has solidified like this is one of my favorite cues of all time. It is so symbolic and it is so, it nurtures you and lifts you up to the exact point that you need to be at to go on this flight of passage. That was very deep. I'm here here all night. (laughs) So it starts you where you're outside, you're in nature, you're going through the Valley of Moara, just like you are if you were just wandering around, you know, Pandora, basically. And that's important because you're able to see what this land should look like. You know, this is in its full glory, nature, you have the sounds, you have the Uh, water, the plants, the bioluminescence, if you're riding this at night. I mean, everything is there and you can just take in how beautiful it is. And then there's like a sharp contrast as soon as you start walking inside. Um, you're first, when you walk inside, you're greeted by like a cave kind of scene where you can see pictures of things like the banshees and you can get a little understanding for their history with just the banshees and how that you know has tied into their traditions and their values for many years. But then the caves quickly turn into like this sterile, like metal, man-made box, basically. And I think the cool thing to notice as you're walking through that outside portion where you're appreciating nature and then as you go in and you start to learn more about the history of the Navi in the caves, notice there's not a single straight line there. Everything is curved and natural and the ebbs and flows. But as soon as you get into this old RDA facility, sharp lines, quick switchbacks in the turns. 
lots of grays, lots of metals, lots of... It feels very cold. Yeah. And you can see that, you know, that sharp contrast between the way that the Navi, you know, were used to living just like as one with nature. They appreciated that beauty to what RDA was doing when they came in for mining. You know, they were taking over. They didn't care about the beauty, the sight lines, any of those things. They were there strictly for business, for those resources. And then as you go through, you know, this lab area, basically, you kind of turn a corner and you can see where now that RDA is gone, like nature starts to take back over. And to reclaim it. Yes. So it's almost coming full circle, which is pretty cool because you can see, you know, you're still obviously inside and you still have the sharp, you know, the switchbacks and the harsh lines, but, you know, the moss is starting to grow back up on the wall. You can hear the animals again. And I mean, it's, we see this, you know, in lots of different examples, like abandoned theme parks and you know, like weird other things that we can actually see abandoned cities where eventually nature starts to take over again. And it's the same idea that's occurring in the Valley of Moara. And they are allowing you to see that change and that evolution that they're going through because they're in this rebuilding process right now. So they're trying to get rid of the RDA and bring in nature. And so I think just kind of to summarize or to put it in other words is this is so symbolic of what animal kingdom is all about. Look, I'll be the first person to say that when they first announced Pandora, I was like, are you kidding me? Like that doesn't fit this. That doesn't make sense. You know, and even the first couple of times we went to Pandora, I wasn't completely convinced, but I think, you know, as rudimentary as it looks of it's, it's a cue. It's just a space that you wait in until you get to ride on an attraction. It so eloquently portrays this idea of how do humans and technology and nature all exist at the same time. And there is a harmonious balance that you can find. Now we're on to a a promo for Harmonious, the new Epcot show. Ooh, I know you don't like that. (laughs) Um, But there is harmony that can be found between all of these things at work. And I think it really, really sets such a beautiful stage for the pre-shows and then the next steps for, you know, whether it's conscious or subconscious, I think everybody, when they get onto that bike-looking thing, it's it's almost an emotional experience because you understand that this is a almost sacred, you know, experience that you're going into. And I think the cue is what did that. Well, and again, you know, it's connecting back into animal kingdom. How does this fit into animal kingdom? Well, you know, surface level, it's conservation, just like the other attractions that you see within the park. If you think about Kilimanjaro Safari, that is a conservation effort. If you think about um, Kali River Rapids, That's all about deforestation and how people are coming in and ruining the forest. I mean, it's all kind of laid out for you. And even the theme of 
this ride where you're connecting with an avatar and then you are getting to ride on the back of a banshee, like that in itself is also a conservation and a research effort. It might be more fictional than the others, but it plays in once you look into it. It's not just like a money grab like we kind of thought it was. No, I I agree. I think, and I would highly suggest go back and look at a lot of this promotional material that came out in 2016 and 2017 when they were preparing to open this land. You know, James Cameron's crazy. I think he would even admit that he's crazy, but all of our favorite people are crazy. He Joe, has a brilliant mind. Joe Rody's crazy. Like we can admit that in, a, in the best possible way. You don't support any Joe Rody slander. My mouth is on the ground. You don't think he's just a little bit crazy, just like he's a, mad a mastermind. St- okay, I'm with you. I agree. That's what I was saying in just different words. Oh, okay, but you can really tell that you know Avatar, weird kind of movie. It doesn't hit home with everybody, but the message behind it is very pure and is very much in line with the same value system as Animal Kingdom. So jumping into the actual attraction itself, because I feel like we built it up a lot, we have to start with the pre-show. And although we're not going to go into a lot of detail about the pre-show and all the little ums and everything else, luckily the story is given to you on a silver platter. So when we talk about storytelling, we're not going to just retell everything that they're already telling you because that's a little unnecessary. But I think here the most important thing to look at are those small details that elaborate on the story or make it more rich. And so the first thing is that it's kind of, it it hasn't always been abundantly clear to me of what the actual goal is here. I thought it was more just of a rite of passage type thing. But instead, this is actually a research trip with the goal of learning more about the Ekron or Banshee, whatever we want to call them, so that they can repopulate them. And so you can learn that through the dialogue of, all right, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to gather more information on the Ekron. The reason why we have to use the Avatar program is because the Ekron and the Navi have this special connection with each other and they will eat humans for lack of a better way of putting it. Do they tell you that? I just think, I don't know if they say eat, but Ekrons do not like humans, just Navi. Which makes sense if the humans were destroying their ecosystem. Yeah. And kind of the second secondary detail that falls out of that is that Dr. Stevens, who that is the uh, fly guy. (laughs) He specifically says that the Avatar program has been relaunched. Now, this if you've watched Avatar the movie, I can't remember how it ends. They may have officially shut it down at the end of the movie. But as you can insinuate, if they're going to have five more, obviously that program is coming back. But Dr. Stevens, you know, points out they brought it back. They relaunched it by the PCI. And that's what we're... Like, that's how this is facilitating happening. And that's where Dr. Ogden comes in, because she is the Banshee expert with PCI and ACE. I guess she's dual affiliated. It's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a weird, PCI 
the Pandora Conservation Initiative. Yeah, is not necessarily. Is it an organization? And ACE is the actual organization, or is ACE just specific to flight of passage? I would think that. I th- okay, sorry. Now I think it's clicking for me. Okay. <laughs> is that PCI is like the overarching, like that's the goal, that's the organization. That's the initiative. ACE is brought in to bring us humans into the Valley of Moara. Like they're the ones facilitating that. They're responsible for us. They are showing us the ropes. Yes. Okay. That's what I was going to say. I got my mind into a pretzel somehow. I'm glad we were able to. To work through that. Yeah. And so, you know, I think those are just a few little contextual pieces of information that can help move the story along a little bit or maybe get some clarity as to what this is. Now, it is still, like they say, it's a flight of passage is meant to be a play on words for rite of passage. Like this is a very special experience that the Navi get to have mm-hmm. with the Ikron. So it is very important. But Understanding that it's really a research trip, I think, changes the game a little bit from where I understood it before. I mean, I think, you know, when you ride this ride, there's definitely that tie to the emotional because that's how they want you to feel like they want you to create that emotional connection with the Banshee. But it is very much rooted in research. I mean, if you look at those pre-shows, you're talking to two scientists. You know, if, if it was just like for fun for, you know, an experience or whatever, it would be more like a tour, you know? Well, and I think that's why I say that, because that, to me, made that whole lab sequence make much more sense Mm -hmm. as to what this was. Because to me, there was always a disconnect between, this is like an emotional or like a sacred, you know, spiritual experience for the Navi. Why are, why is there tests out here? Yeah, why are they you know, linking us and getting rid of germs and all the other things that they make you do. But it's it's because, I mean, I don't know if this is an appropriate thing to say, but you're like a test, you're a tester, you know, you're doing this and you're getting this experience, but you are helping them conduct research at the end of the day. So I think we have to pivot to talk about that emotional experience because I think it's important in this story, not just, you know, for the fact that it's amazing and, you know, it makes you tear up a little and everything that you experience. But when you think about animal kingdom and their conservation initiative or any like, I know I, maybe I should say this, but any zoo that you visit or, you know, any opportunity that you have to connect with like a conservation organization They want you to have these experiences and they want you to, you know, have some sort of personal relationship with the animals because like that's the biggest way to make you think about, oh, when I go home, I'm going to make sure I recycle or, you know, it's just the best way to connect people to the overarching goal, you know, which is to reduce, reuse, recycle help save, you know, whatever endangered animal it might be. In this case, it's a banshee, but you have to create that emotional connection. Yeah. And I think the way that they do it on this attraction is just by an overwhelming sensory experience. It has it all. 
It has it all. It has sights. It has sounds. It has smells. It has motion. Everything that you could want. And look, it, I, it didn't personally happen to me, but I know I've heard it so many times of people say the first time that they ride this, they actually like wept because they feeling this feeling of flying and seeing the sights and feeling like you're actually there is overwhelming for some people. Now, I think if you had a better experience with the movies, maybe that would assist in that. But I don't know. Can you see that? Like, it, is it is it overwhelming to the point of that for you? Um, I mean, I'm definitely the more emotional person here. So, I mean, I could understand almost that feeling of there's so much going on. You know, if you truly allow yourself to be in that moment and ride on the back of this banshee, and just enjoy what is going on around you. I mean, it's very peaceful. You know, they build it up so that, you know, you can see the beauty of Pandora. You know, you're getting out of Moara just a little bit, I would assume. So you're getting to see more and, you know, it's bringing everything full circle. So I could see how just like anything else, you know, Disney is emotional for a lot of people, for a lot of different reasons. So I could see how this could play into it. And I think it's incredible how they're able to do it without a single word of dialogue. Once you get on. Mm-hmm. They just, it just kind of happens. And I think the music plays a very large role in that as well. Well, like you said, everything does. So, I mean, since we're talking about the technology and the experience, I mean, a lot of people say that this is, Soren on steroids. And I mean, you're a big Soren fan. What do you think about that statement? Well, I thought it was interesting in our research is that I always just thought it was maybe coincidental or they drew inspiration just because they could. But it was actually very intentional. James Cameron, when he met with the Imagineers, told them, you know, that he had this idea of that he wanted to do a Soren over this world of Pandora that he had created in his mind and in the movies. And so that was like one of their first kickoff calls with Walt Disney Imagineering was he planted this idea and it took shape. And he said Soren over California was his favorite ride in Disneyland and California adventure. And so I think it's, um, I don't know if it changes my perception of the ride, but it was definitely very intentionally done that way well i mean and if you think about it it's something that had never really been done before you know disney has lots of boat rides lots of you know you kind of know what to expect to a certain extent but this does give you a completely different experience but also a completely different vantage point of pandora you know it's a new way to really experience it so it is an interesting connection And I, the other thing that came out of this interview that we saw was that Bob Iger was actually the one attributed with coming up with the idea and Mm -hmm. putting it into Disney's Animal Kingdom. Yeah, he like sought this out, Avatar. Yeah, he saw potential with Avatar, got the light, you know, he loved acquisitions and he loved licensing deals. So he got the ball in motion and then they agreed like we need to build something that guests can experience here. And they were having debates on which park it should go into. 
And that's at least that's what James Cameron said, is that Iger is the one who said, I think it fits in Animal Kingdom. Which, mm-hmm. again, it's, it's something that on the surface it, you think, what? Like, why wouldn't this be in Hollywood Studios? You know? But I do, or even Epcot, because it's futuristic. But I think at the heart of it, it is very much what Animal Kingdom is all about. Absolutely. This is your love letter to Animal Kingdom, right? I mean, really anything that we do about Animal Kingdom is my love letter. Eventually, we're just going to have to have a Joe Rohde episode where then we can truly profess our love for him or I can. I mean, you can do whatever you want. But you mean you haven't professed your love for him yet? I mean, not in one dedicated episode. Okay. He deserves that. I mean, he deserves everything. So as far as favorites, what are your favorite scenes in this ride? Mm. I mean, I like the more like thrilling aspects of it. You know, I appreciate the beauty and stuff. I really like the wave scene where you're like, it feels like you're surfing Mm -hmm. in the wave where the big thing jumps up. What about you? I like that. I also really like this scene where you stop moving for a second and everything starts to light up because I feel like in that moment, you have the sounds, you get a good smell there. I don't know what it is. Whatever they have in Moara. Banshee breath. Mm, that might not be so good. It's breathing hard at that point. It is. Well, I was going to say, and that's where, that's the scene where I feel like you can really feel connected to your Banshee. And that's what I like. Like, I like knowing that you're not just sitting in a chair. You know, this thing is breathing. You've got to tell, you You heard one of my favorite lines. I will never forget this. <laughs> and you weren't even there. The first time you ever rode this, what did the guy next to you say? So it was brand new. Um, Not brand new. I don't know. It was a newer ride. You know, I'm in a room full of people just like myself who this was the first time they ever rode it. So, you know, you kind of awkwardly squeeze into the seats. You don't know what's going to happen. You know it's going to be crazy, um, and you actually, like, squeeze yourself in there the way you're supposed to. You know, like, if you've been on this ride a few times. Not comfortable. It's not comfortable. So you kind of sit yourself a little farther back, and you give yourself some room. But no, we're newbies. We're all smushed in there the way that we're supposed to be. And it gets to that scene where you're sitting, and you can feel them breathing, and this guy, a couple people over, says, well, man, mine must be a smoker <laughs> because he was breathing so heavy. <laughs> and you can feel it breathing and you can hear him breathing. And this guy just thought that his banshee was huffing and puffing. And it was awesome. Talk about, like, memorable quotes. That one's up there with the older people who were sitting behind us the first time when we rode Rise of the Resistance. That's just like... That that line, people could find us 60 years from now. We're still going to be telling people that line about Flight of Passage. Let me tell you about the first time Captain rode Flight of Passage. Because it was awesome. You know, like the, the, that's what someone is experiencing. You know, they're feeling it and they're hearing it. And yeah, like that's what was going through his head. And it was awesome. Just to play 
devil's advocate because, you know, like we talked a little bit about in the beginning, some people do think this ride is overhyped. Now, I don't necessarily think that's fair for this ride that it has super long wait times. Its capacity is not great compared to a lot of other attractions. You know, since the show is pretty long and, you know, you do have the pre-shows. And it's it, not an omni mover. You know, it's not made to just eat people up. So I think that's maybe where people have a disconnect with it. Because if you wait three hours for it, I can see how, you know, it's not the most thrilling. And a lot of people kind of expect that, I think. It's more of this completely immersive experience. But, you know, is there anything that you think could improve it? The only thing that comes to my mind is I wish you didn't have to wear the glasses. Oh, absolutely. We're big fans of if we would never have to wear 3D glasses again. I mean. Except for Muppet Vision 3D. Do you want to keep wearing the glasses? It's very important there. Okay. How else is Fozzie Bear going to do his cheap tricks? But I'm saying I want the cheap tricks. Like I want the effects. I want everything. I just don't want to wear the glasses. I don't know if that technology is out there or if it's just too expensive or what it is. But I agree because I do think that that can hinder your ability to, you know, like look around and see as much just because I think, you know, obviously with the glasses, it's a little bit blocked. Maybe but that's just being nitpicky. I mean, honestly, I don't know if anything would make it better because I, I, I'm not creative enough to think of anything different. You know, like I do truly think it's a great ride. One of my favorite things to do on the attraction is to, especially on that uh, light up scene that you're talking about where you take the break and the banshee stops for a second look around and look at the other people in the theater. It's really, really crazy to to look and see all the different emotions. And, you know, if pre-mask area, you could see people's facial expressions, you know, a lot of jaws open and, mm-hmm. you know, husband hitting their wife like, are you, can you see that? You know? <laughs> well, it, even like in that last scene where, you know, you're just kind of casually flying you know you're not like darting away from the evil banshee or anything you know is that a is that that was one of my questions is the mean one is that also a banshee or is that a different species i am not very familiar with different species within pandora so i just assumed it was a banshee it could be something completely different i have no clue we'll have to ask an expert can we phone a friend do we have that feature on here James Cameron. Do you have his number? Mm-hmm. Okay. Another thing that we forgot to mention a little bit in the development of this attraction is that, you know, this Avatar franchise, they do have someone who is a linguist who has developed this Navi language. And that same person wrote this attraction and, you know, did... I said there's not a line of dialogue. There is a little bit from the leader. There's not a line of English dialogue. Talon, Navi, Sivako is the only Navi that I know. I Rise guess an, to the challenge? Yeah, and Ikron, I guess, is technically a Navi word as well. But I don't know. It, they they really did it so wonderfully, and I do just love that you don't have to necessarily be completely enthralled with the movies to get it and to understand it. 
But I think now that we are starting to understand more of, you know, the storyline of not only the Valley of Mawara, but, you know, the evolution of what's kind of happened to just Pandora as a whole, you know, it's almost like a your own scavenger hunt. Like you can look for different hidden details, um, like even the lights, you know, they're taking something natural, they're taking the plants and they're making it something practical. So they're not, you know, hindering nature anymore, but they're taking something natural and they're making it more practical. Yeah. And it's kind of like a scavenger hunt. It is. It's really beautiful. It's, uh, you know, we try not to just like gush over these attractions, but this one, I think it's one of those, you can continue learning about it. You can continue having different experiences based on your seat or, you know, different things that you pick up, I guess, depending on which avatar you link with, that might change it as well. And it's, I don't know. I, I think it's one that if you really critically think when you're experiencing this, I'm not talking about critically think to make your brain hurt, but just like be cognizant of the cue and, you know, the words that the researchers are telling you and everything along with that. It is one that continues to get better and better. And I completely agree. Good. Glad you agree with me. So if you are listening on release day or in the future, we're going to be doing it for a while. Last Thursday of every single month is when we will be doing Detour to Neverland Live. You can catch that both on Facebook and YouTube, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Walt Disney World Time. You can go to see us. You'll get to see Hannah. We're going to be previewing the month. So whether you're visiting the parks in the next month, we're going to give you a lot of the information that you need to know to maximize on that park experience. Or if you just want to keep up with what's going on, maybe hear some of our banter back and forth. I don't know. We're not known for that or anything. Nope. Then we would love to have you there. And again, we'll also be releasing the audio version of that here on the podcast. Last thing we wanted to mention is March is not over yet, but March has been the best numbers-wise month we have ever had in the history of the podcast. We feel just an overwhelming amount of joy and pride And we just want to thank you so much for allowing us to do this. This is the highlight of our week every week. It's a little stressful sometimes trying to make sure that we hit all the details that we want to hit. And we always, when we end recording, we're like, dang it, we forgot to mention this. We forgot to mention that. But we have so much fun doing this. We are so happy that you are enjoying it as well. And we look forward to making April even better. Yeah, so we hope you have a great weekend and we will chat with you again on Monday. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon.